Riding through this world All alone God takes your soul You're on your own The crow flies straight A perfect line On the devil's bed Until you die Welcome, everybody, to the long-awaited episode of the Crossroads Podcast, reviewing the AEW pay-per-view revolution. It's your boy, the man of a thousand gimmicks, the dustiest man in the game, the diamond in the rough, Diamond Motherfucking Dave. So, I apologize that uh, this episode's being released a week after the pay-per-view, um, if you guys haven't been keeping up with my social, uh, you know that I'm currently looking for a new um, for a new place uh, to live. So I can't turn down any work. So I was working a lot this week. Um, and uh, yeah, I worked Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And on Tuesday, I was basically sleeping all day. So that's why the episode is extremely delayed. But let's get right into the episode. I mean, I'm not going to say whether I paid for the event or if I streamed it. Uh, I watched it. That's all I will say. And uh, was it the best pay-per-view AEW's done? No. Uh if so facto, I believe it was the worst that they've put on. Um, one of the biggest reasons is obviously going to be the exploding barbed wire death match that uh, we will get into. But I don't know. It just felt like a really convoluted pay-per-view. A lot of the matches were going too long. Um, considering... Uh, the Britt Baker Thunder Rosa feud, the tag match should not have been on the pre-show. Uh, it, I don't even think it really should have been a tag match to begin with. Um, the tag match, uh, we're going to get into a lot of these matches, uh, individually, but, um, the tag titles, I, I hated the match to begin with because MJF and Chris Jericho were a uh, strange bedfellows, not an official tag team, and I don't think they should have been in that position in the first place. I also was really confused about the tag team casino battle royal because obviously in other companies we've seen uh, tag team elimination matches where one of the uh, members of the tag team is eliminated the whole team is eliminated as a whole so overall I think it was just a an iffy pay-per-view especially it's but one thing I will say that I'm very happy about was the signing of Christian Cage 
Uh, and I even had to get confirmation from other uh, people in the Twitterverse. But they have his music from TNA. He's going by Christian Cage, same name that he had when he was in TNA. And a lot of people forget to realize that he was a world champion in WWE with the big gold belt. He also is a two-time NWA champion before NWA and TNA went their separate ways. And I find it extremely funny that around the time of the Royal Rumble, Christian Cage returns and everybody's clamoring like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like Christian Cage, Christian's coming back. And he goes to another company and now it's, oh, he's too old. Like, get the fuck out of here. Like, I I hold WWE fans and AEW fans and really all wrestling fans on the same even keel. And I think it's absolute, absolutely obnoxious when you your favorites, it's one thing when they're dealing with your company that you like to watch, but completely different when it's going to another company. So get your act together, Twitterverse. So let's get right into it. Um, oh, the mat, the uh, tag team match between Jericho MJF and the Young Bucks, it was a good match. Yeah, I mean, it 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 just didn't appeal to me because I hate when these put together tag teams get spots over real tag teams and I'm going to even talk about it more going into the uh, tag team casino battle royal but proud and powerful aka Santana and Ortiz aka Lax from TNA they've been together for a while and it makes no sense that Jericho and MJF mind you MJF's only been with the inner circle since right after full gear. So I don't like them being in this position. Now, obviously this is coming out on Sunday and we know a lot of big stuff happened on Wednesday. I'm not going to go in that into that on this episode. I'm going to talk about it briefly on the regular episode. That's going to drop tomorrow at 10 o'clock, but we did have some, Big happenings, so to speak. Um, the next match, uh, the Casino Battle Royal. There were a lot of teams. I actually only announced, I want to say, like, half the teams. I wasn't aware that it was basically going to be every team in AEW. But I didn't really have a solid prediction in this. I, I was thinking Proud and Powerful or uh, Phoenix and Pac. And we did get Phoenix and Pac winning. It it was interesting. I mean, two teams started off consisting of four people with a new team being added every 90 seconds. And, and I mean, I think we can all agree at any given point in the match, it was just a clusterfuck spot fest. 
the there were way too many people in the ring, and I think that's why other companies did have done the when one person's eliminated, the team's eliminated. But it it was really a clusterfuck. But I mean, I like that Phoenix and Pac won, and this actually made me think that uh, later in the night we would have got Penta winning the um, face of the revolution ladder match. My prediction for that match was the uh, to be determined person, which was in fact, Ethan page, but we'll get into that more. Um, I do like that. They're continuing doing the casino battle Royal or ladder match, you know, across the board for tag teams, etc., etc. But, I don't know. I, I don't think the battle royal. I don't think the casino battle royal concept really works with tag teams, and I don't think a, mul- a multi tag team ladder match, a la TLC, with that many tag teams, would be enjoyable. Uh, obviously, WWE has a trademark to TLC, um, so probably can't do anything like that, but. Hey, Phoenix and Pac won. I like that the de- uh, Death Triangle, Trangulo de la Muerte, is finally getting some, uh, getting some focus, getting some momentum, and I do hope that they continue it. Now the Hikaru Shida Rio Mizunami match. It was a gr- it was a great match. It just went on way too long, and I love how they wrapped in the story about how years ago Mizunami told Shida that a hundred times we wrestle, you'll never beat me, etc., etc. And I'm not gonna lie, it even looked like we saw a couple of heel tendencies coming from Hikaru Shida. But, uh, I'm not sure if Mizunami really should have been the one to win this, uh, win the women's title eliminator match. The finals were contested between her and Nyla Rose. I really hate how on the American side, they're really leaning into Nyla Rose being ever, ever present in the, uh, title picture. And don't get me wrong, it has nothing to do with the fact that uh, she's a transgender wrestler. That It's just, she's literally, before her title reign, during her title reign, after her title reign, she's always around the title picture. And I think that's obnoxious. I really do. Uh, on the other end of it, I think Hikaru Shida's, uh Rain is starting to get really stale, so I'm I'm curious on whether we're slowly going to have this lead to the face-off between uh, Sheeta and Britt Baker, considering Britt Baker was the first woman to sign her name to the AEW roster, I'm still surprised that she, in fact, has not had a run with the championship. Now, obviously, she had the injury, the torn ACL, MCL, yada, yada, yada. But she's back, 
And one thing I will say, we did uh we did get Nyla Rose, uh Maki Ito and Britt Baker. Uh, faction alert. We have a lot of faction alerts coming. Um, yeah, we have a, we have a women's faction that looks like it's developing. They were all wearing their uh, their borderline red matching gear. Uh, obviously, we haven't seen successful women's factions so far in. Uh, AEW, Nightmare Collective, I'm talking about you, uh, Mel, Brandy, and shit, I've, uh, uh, Awesome Kong, yeah, I, uh, I would like to see this, and then obviously on the babyface side of it, it looks like, um, you have Riho, you have Thunder Rosa, so we could potentially get a face versus heel women's faction coming up. Um, I guess we'll see. So the next match was uh, Hangman Page versus Matt Hardy in the big money match. This match came out of the fact that uh, Page switched out the contracts and uh, Matt Hardy signed his name to the contract, stating that the loser of the match would, in fact, forfeit their first quarter earnings to the winner. Now, we had Private Party get involved. It wasn't, it wasn't to be. However, I lo- Hangman looked really strong after this, and I also really enjoyed the fact that they had the Dark Order come out and hangman even embraced them now i personally thought this was like a hangman joining the dark order thing but it looks like it's going to continue with hangman not being in the group but being aligned with the group and being friends with the group so we might get maybe you know support for both sides but hangman is not officially a member of of the Dark Order. Now, I'm not going to lie, a lot of people have been saying that they think that the Dark Order should remain leaderless. I disagree with that. I do think that um, Mr. Brody Lee, the Exalted One, would want the group to continue with another leader. And in all honesty, I do believe Hangman has that ability. This isn't taking away from anyone else within the group, but it's just no one has that individual star power. I mean, uh, Alan Angels or Preston Vance, like they're 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 showing out, and then obviously you have a negative one, but um, none of them really have that power. And then if you remember in Bullet Club and in the Elite, Hangman was always a supporting player. He never once was the leader. So, in a perfect world for me, this would be where Hangman becomes a de facto leader. Um, And it isn't like Brody Lee with uh, the suits and all that, but just provide some guidance and we can get the Dark Order back on track. I remember when the Dark Order was just 
uh, Evil Uno and Stu Dose, formerly Super Smash Brothers. I thought they were going to be the next tag team champions. The crowd wasn't really receptive to the creeps, but then you had uh, John Silver and Alex Reynolds join, and then Preston Vance, Alan Angels, uh, Anna Jay. You've expanded the group, but you keep going on these hot and cold streaks with them doing well and them not. And I didn't even mention it in the tag team battle Royal, but evil Uno's elimination was comical. Uh, the distance, I forget who it was that was going to eliminate him. I think it was, uh, Marco stun. Uh, the distance was too far from the ring post. It looked like, uh, Marco was supposed to send him into the ring post, but the distance was too far, so you had the move happen. Then a couple seconds later, Evil Uno, like, staggered to the ring post and fall off. Like, keeping true to your craft, but it did not look good. But I honestly would like to see the Dark Order get some momentum moving forward. And I kind of do hope that this uh this is where we get it um so the face of the revolution ladder match was consisted between Cody Rhodes, Max Caster, Scorpio Sky, TBA and Penta L0 Miedo. Now I mean it also the match felt very spot fest heavy. And I'm, I mean, obviously we enjoy these multi-man matches and this was very, very similar to the money in the bank concept, but I don't know. AW doesn't, in my opinion, I don't think they do well with the multi-man matches getting to like the six and up. It becomes way too spot fest heavy. The ring is too crowded. But, uh, I mean, there was some crazy shit. Penta doing the Canadian Destroyer. Yes, I'm going to emphasize, it is a Canadian Destroyer. And it was created by P.D. Williams. So just because you change the name from Canadian Destroyer to Destroyer does not mean that you're not taking shit from Petey Williams. But anyway, Penta El Cerro Miedo did a destroyer onto Cody, basically putting him through through a ladder. Cody was taken out of the match. We've seen that happen a lot, only to try and return a turn later. Lance Archer broke a ladder in half with his knee, but the in my honest, in my honest opinion, the big part of this match was one the debut of all ego Ethan Page to AW. Now, for those of you who uh, have been keeping up, he was most recently with Impact, um, and his last match in Impact was a match with Karate Man who is an alter ego of Ethan Page's. And it resulted in Karate Man 
pulling out Ethan Page's heart. So Ethan Page for a while was selling that he was dead. I'm all I'm all for that kind of shit. Absolutely, I got a chance to meet uh, Ethan Page a couple years ago at Starcast. He was a fi- he was a champion of a he was a five time champion. Uh, I forget which belt he was, but like he. We took like four pictures together and he let me hold all five of his belts. It was like fucking awesome. But uh I had a feeling that he was gonna be coming to this to AEW. And uh I one of the things I've always loved about Ethan Page was uh him saying that it's not overconfidence, it's all ego. His moniker. But um yeah, like I said, I thought I originally thought he was gonna win, and I even admitted that after Phoenix and Pac, like I said, I will always say Pac and not Pac. Pac sounds stupid, especially for someone coming from the United Kingdom. Why would I say Pac? It's Pac. I'm I'm always gonna complain about that. But after they won the Battle Royal. I thought that Penta could win, but you can never count out Scorpio Sky. Now, obviously, he's with SCU. Daniels and Kazarian are doing their thing in the tag division. Scorpio Sky is right now doing his thing in the singles division. And he's he's holding him he's holding his own as a singles competitor. Um and now he has a brass ring, which in fact allows him to Challenge for the AEW TNT Championship. I'm not sure. If, uh, I believe that match was on Wednesday. I'll talk about that. Uh, was on Wednesday. I'll talk about that with the other big shit that happened in the next episode. But, um, yeah, like I said, Christian Cage signed. I think it's dope. Wasn't a big thing. He came out. He signed the contract. He left. Um, But one thing everybody pointed out is Christian and Edge, their hug in the Royal Rumble now has a lot more significant of a meaning than it did originally. A lot of people thought it was like a welcome back to the WWE. Uh, Now it seems like it's more like a welcome back to wrestling. I wish you all the success. Now Christian even said that he uh was he was fielding offers from WWE and I guess it was Big Show that or uh John Moxley that convinced him to you know hear hear uh AW's offer and he liked AW's offer. I was joking around um it's well known that Vince McMahon has always hated Christian's face. Um to go as far as on promo posters and all that, Vince would put a a circular sticker over Christian's face because he hated it so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, Big Show announced this that uh, you know the sign the signee can outwork everyone, and that is even Christian Cage's shirt. You have the double C logo, um, and then outwork every, 
double C logo in the background and then outwork everyone uh, on the front of it. I really like it. That's actually one of the shirts that I'm going to get when I'm more financially stable. But I'm I'm curious on where they place Christian in the AEW hierarchy. Obviously, he could be a main eventer. He could be support. And and as we've seen, a lot of the more veteran superstars, they've been, you know, support. But Christian, you could tell just from his body transformation leading up to the Royal Rumble, Christian can still fucking go. So all the power to Christian Cage. Now, the next match was Sting and Darby Allen versus Team Taz consisting of Ricky Starks and Brian Cage in a street fight. Now, the first thing uh the first thing that we have to talk about is this match was filmed in advance. It actually was filmed the day before and uh it went off without a hitch, but one thing I've always not enjoyed with the cinematic matches that are filmed in advance it's the fact that you you know you know they're taped in advance because you because you either read it or even i forget which one it was uh it was at night and it was still light outside or something like that but when you're doing those matches commentary should just shut the fuck up Literally, should just shut the fuck up. You're not there, and we know that you're commentating live on something that already happened. So it sounds disjointed, and it obviously goes quicker than you think. So a lot of times, when you're commentating, you're commentating on something that has long gone by. But... Sting and Darby's entrance was pretty cool. It had uh, the people decked in Sting masks. You had Darby and Sting rocking similar face paint. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, it was it, it, it was a really physical match. I mean. You have Brian Cage walking up with Darby up the stairs in a brain buster position. You have Darby doing a dive off from three stories up through a window because, you know, Darby's a fucking psycho. And if you don't, just watch all the videos that he posts of him doing crazy shit with Travis Pastrana and all that. Darby Allen even monkey climbed up a pole and did a coffin drop onto Brian Cage. And I, I've always, uh, I'm not sure if it was Brian Cage or Ricky Starks, but I've always found what found it enjoyable when a competitor monkey climbs up the ring post. One of the reasons why I'm a huge fan of Casey Catanzaro, the way she gets into the ring, but now not so much because, uh, Everywhere she goes, she doesn't wear a mask, so her and Ricochet don't take it seriously, and uh, Chase and Rance, that's all I have to say about that. But, uh, as expected, 
I did also uh, mention that uh, you can't count out Powerhouse Hobbs getting involved in this match. And uh, the reckless abandon of the spot where Brian Cage and Power and uh, Powerhouse Hobbs literally swung Darby Allen through a window, a window pane glass, and then the rest of the window just collapsed on him. The reckless abandoned Darby puts his body through is almost disgusting at times. And I, I hope it doesn't lead to a short end career for him, but he's doing what he loves. That's all that matters. And then obviously, as I said, the, um, as I said, the, Darby dive from three stories up after Sting hit uh after Sting hit Brian Cage with a shovel. But uh this shows that Sting can still go. Let's be serious. You can't just have Sting do only cinematic matches, so I'm going to hold back my I'm going to hold back everything until I see him back in an actual ring. But this match actually was one of my favorite matches on the uh, card, with the exception of the fact that the commentary didn't shut up and it was very convoluted. So that brings us to the exploding barbed wire death match. Three out of the four sides of the ring were covered with barbed wire ropes instead of regular ropes. With the fourth, the one facing the entranceway was regular ropes. In each, uh, in two of the four corners, there were tables that were wrapped around with barbed wire. And around on the floor, around three sides around the ring had something known as a triple barbed wire hell, which were these long, almost, um, Bunko boards that were wrapped in barbed wire on top of quote-unquote explosions. Now, first, let me talk about the explosions. I'm not going to talk about the <laughs> the last explosion. and That's going to be its whole other talk. <clears throat> Obvious, like, Tony Khan even hinted at this. People were going to be disappointed either way unless we actually blew up competitors. No, that's not the case. The The explosions were just... They didn't look right. Now, I one of, Brother Daryl was there in person. It looked a lot better in person. He showed me pictures in person. But on TV, it did not look right. They... I felt that they lagged a little bit from contact with the rope or with the contraptions. So they were delayed. And, and rather than explosions, you basically had like smoke magic with sparks. But, uh, the match itself, the hardcore element of it, it was hard to watch. Now, I said on the preview, I'm not sure how I felt about another gimmick match between John Moxley 
and Kenny Omega. The ending confirmed that fear for me in the fact that yeah, the lights out match and for that match they were even fined by the Maryland Sports Athletic Commission. Then you had the title change hands on the uh, Don Callis appearance, Kenny hitting Moxley with the microphone. And then you have this. Once again, the Good Brothers got involved, and I found it funny. It honestly, in my opinion, it seems like the Good Brothers are on AW more than they are on Impact. So it's getting kind of annoying that every week, I know that it's supposed to be a heel thing, and it's what heels do, but everything ending in the in the same the same storyline. Good Brothers come out, attack said opponent, hold back opponent, Kenny goes hog wild. So you have that. One of the craziest spots was John Moxley doing the paradigm shift on Kenny Omega from the apron to one of those barbed wire hell pads on the outside. Now it was it was a crazy spot not just because taking that move from the apron to the floor is dangerous, but with the added in barbed wire hell it almost appeared to me that Moxley bore the majority of the damage as opposed to Kenny Omega. Um, they each had their fair share of um, contact with the barbed wire ropes uh, inside the ring. Kenny even got a twofer uh, b- trying to uh, grab... Moxley's legs gets kicked into it and then gets uh, thrown face first into it. But once again, the explosions kind of did it dirty. You had uh, an exploding barbed wire bat that was brought out by the Good Brothers. And it was cool, I guess. It's really hard for me to talk about this match because it it, it was extremely underwhelming. Like, you would think that a match like this, so many years after it had last been done, never being done in the mainstream, with the advances in technology, would have been able to put it on better. But unfortunately, I think it went off worse. Now that brings us to the final stipulation of the match. And that was that at the end of 30 minutes, the ring will explode. You heard that right. After 30 minutes, the ring will explode. The reason for that is that there must be a winner. Now. Kenny gets the win. Omega and the Good Brothers are still in the ring. At this point in time, Moxley's hands are handcuffed behind his back. So he can't defend himself. And he took a lot of... uh, He took a beating 
with his hands behind his back, and I can only imagine how that hurt. Good Brothers and uh, Kenny Omega leave the ring and run away, and you have Eddie Kingston coming out. Mind you, him and Moxley are friends, and not being able to wake up Moxley to get him out of the ring in time. So what does Eddie Kingston do? Eddie Kingston, in a final act of valor, throws his body over Moxley's to protect him. And then you get the the counter going to zero. And you had each of the four ring posts light up like sparklers, and then you you basically had like segments of pyro explosions. It went from the top of the post to what looked like the three sides with the barbed wire. And then these little, maybe like six feet away explosions on the floor. Like I said, apparently in person it looked a lot better. But. It did not look good on television. And Twitter was aflame, no pun intended. Now, after after everything, after the show went off the air, you had Moxley even joke around saying, uh, Kenny Omega can't build a ring worth a shit. So that kind of savaged, salvaged it. But the damage was done. Um... The the, in all honesty, it's hard. It's hard for me to say that I really enjoyed this pay per view because of this. This ending your show on like that is such a disappointment, and I know for a fact that had this been done by WWE, mind you, they wouldn't do it because they're a publicly traded company. And their PG. But if WWE did the exact same thing AW did, the IWC would be going insane. Would be going absolutely fucking insane. Criticizing it, etc., etc. But when AW does it, oh, like you can't let an ending change your whole view of the pay per view. Or. Tony Khan and AW even going onto YouTube and removing any video of the explosion and turning off comments because they were getting so berated. Now, I don't know what more to say. The... I was excited for the match because it was the first time it was being done on... A mainstream wrestling show. And now we know why it's not done on a a mainstream wrestling show. The company that used to do them in Japan isn't even a company anymore. Mind you, they have big names. And it's crazy to think that back then, the explosions looked a lot more real than this one. And I am so happy that Onita was not able to attend in person because he would have been looking at Tony Khan and AEW being like, what the fuck is this? So there you have it. (laughs) That's revolution in a nutshell. Um, You can find me, the host, 
Diamond Dave on Twitter at I N D I E underscore D U S T Y D A V E. You can find me on Instagram, O Z T E P 08. And you can find me on Facebook, David Malkwich, M A L K I E W I C H. You can find the crossroads on Instagram and on Twitter at T H E K R O. S-S-R-H-O-D-E-S. And you can find Juniper Bunny, my beautiful bun daughter, and uh, you can consider her a partial mascot of the show. If you look closely at the logo, you'll see on the hat that the uh, skull is wearing, there is a bunny rabbit. Uh, You can find her on Instagram at J-U-N-I-P-E-R-B-U-N-Z. Like I said, this will be dropping right away. And the regular weekly episode will be dropping um, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. So until tomorrow, have a good night. Thank you for listening. And Dusty Dave, out. See you later.